Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Second John. Um, Second John, by the way, as uh, just a way of an introduction, it starts out uh, with, uh, it's written by the elder, and uh, it's uh, directed to or written to the elect lady and her children. Now, in your Bible, it says it's Second John, right? In fact, uh, it says in my Bible, the second epistle of John. So uh, a lot of scholars, a lot of people believe that this was John, in fact, who wrote this. Um, who's the elect lady and her children? Well, there's some different theories, um, kind of interesting different theories. Um, but, the, you know, the most plausible uh, explanation in my mind personally is that it was purposely anonymous. Um, the elder, which I think quite possibly and, and probably is John the Apostle, he's about 90 years old at this time. And we know from history at towards the end of the first century and into the second century, uh, we know that Christians were undergoing intense persecution. So it could be possible that John the Apostle wrote this letter in an anonymous way to protect the identity of the recipients. And if that's the case, then the elect lady and her children, it's quite possible, and maybe in my case, I think it's kind of probable that it's a church and its members that he has directing this letter to. But you know what's interesting? It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if it's written to a lady named Electra, or I mean, there's some weird theories out there, but uh, it, could be, it could be an individual lady. It could have been someone that John visited and her children. Um, it's possible, but you know what? It doesn't change the purpose and the meaning of the letter. It doesn't change what John and the apostle is trying to get across. What is the purpose and the meaning of this letter? Truth and love. And that's the theme in this letter, not only this one, of course, but First and Third John as well. But truth in Second John, the word truth occurs five times in these first four verses. The word, excuse me, the word love occurs four times in this epistle. The Apostle John's known as the Apostle of Love. So, um, you know, it, it, this is definitely the theme of this, of this letter. And what's, what's the whole point? Well, truth needs to be accompanied with love, and love needs to be accompanied with truth. You know, those, neither should be absent from the believer's life. You can't have one without the other. If you have truth, you know, if you're orthodox, you know your scriptures, you know, you know all the biblical principles, and you, can, you could debate with anybody, uh, but you don't have love, you know what it makes you? It makes you a harsh person. It makes you someone who's unapproachable. People are afraid to go to you because you know the truth, and you're, you know, and it makes you unrelatable to people. So, so it's good to have truth. In fact, it's important to have truth, but it's also important to have love as well. We're told to speak the truth in love, right? Um, but also, love without truth is dangerous. Love without truth is dangerous. It allows harmful and deceptive influences, and we'll be talking more about these things as we go through this epistle. So let's start here. Second uh, John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth... And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and be will and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. You know, there's so much that we could glean out of this very this introduction itself. The greeting alone, we could spend so much time on it. Um, John, like I mentioned earlier, I think he's the elder, and it's not just the age of John that he says I'm the elder, but but it's his authority as an apostle, apostolic authority. At this point in the early church history, he could quite possibly and probably be the only surviving eyewitness, the only surviving apostle. He was the one, if you recall, in the Gospels who leaned against Jesus' breast at the Last Supper and asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, who's the, who's the betrayer? Who's going to betray you? He's the one who, at Christ's crucifixion, said, he asked, basically asked John to take care of his mother, Mary. And uh, he was also, we know, one of the inner circle of disciples, the three, right? The, along with James' brother and, and Peter. And so he's got authority. And he's, he, he, he's one of the eyewitnesses of Christ's resurrection. And so John the elder, not just old, but he has authority. And John genuinely loved these people that he was writing to. You know, our love 
towards one another here in the fellowship and towards our neighbors and our community. It should be sincere and honest. And that's why he says, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. Loving in truth. What does that mean? Well, Paul wrote in Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't pretend to love people. Don't say you love them, but not really love them. Um, in Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 1.22. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. That word fervently, it comes from a Greek word meaning to stretch out or to stretch towards. What does that mean? Well, put forth the effort to love one another. Go out of your way to love one another. We should love each other fervently, and he says, with a pure heart. That means with pure motives. Uh, you know, sometimes people will, they will do loving things to you only because it benefits them. But that's not the way we should do it. It should be from a pure heart, not for how it will benefit me. Back in 1 John, when we were in 1 John chapter 3, John wrote this, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, it's so true that actions speak louder than words. And in the case of love, actions do speak louder than words. Have you ever had somebody say to me, hey, say to you, hey, call me anytime. I mean, anytime. Just give me a call. Anything you need, give me a call. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Maybe you've said that to someone else. Hey, you know, you, you don't know what to say. So like, man, just give me a call. I'm there anytime for you. We, uh, we had a, an individual years ago, a friend of ours, and uh, I was getting ready to go on a business trip from the company that I used to work for. <clears throat> and uh, you know what never fails? When I go on a business trip, things would break. Plumbing would back up. The cars would break down. Uh, things just happen. It's, it's just a weird thing. It's just whenever I left, then Teresa would be sitting there, okay, now i got to do. Well, there was a friend that knew that I was getting ready to go. And so he said to Teresa, he said, hey, if there's anything you need at any time, you give me a call. Well, something happened, as usual. Go figure. I mean, I was gone, and uh, the car had a flat tire. Teresa was out somewhere in town here, and, she, and she, had, she called the guy. Now, he did show up, but... I heard this later because I wasn't there, obviously. But Teresa said it was obvious, obvious that he didn't want to be there. He grudgingly came and he grudgingly changed the tire. And, uh, you know, it, it was like, uh, if you're going to say that, man, follow through with it. You know, be a man or a, be a woman of your word. Um, and so actions speak louder than words. Don't just say you're going to love someone, but, but do it be in deed and in truth. Um, I met... Uh, I mentioned I was at, Teresa and I were at a pastor's conference in, uh, in Indiana this last, the beginning of last week, <clears throat> and uh, we met, uh, and actually I think I'd met him before, but I got some time to spend with this guy. His name is Pastor Dave Fitzgerald. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, St. Louis County, um, right there with St. Louis, Missouri in that area, and uh, come to, you know, spending time with him and his wife talking to them, and we found out that he's a crisis chaplain. So <clears throat> whenever things happen, uh, you know, uh, these hurricanes that occur or natural disasters or, or terrorist attacks, whatever. He's on this team through the Billy Graham Association. They call him and he goes and flies over and he does crisis chaplaincy. And, uh, you know, so that's always been something that's kind of been near and dear to my heart. So I was really intrigued with it. And, and, uh, and I was talking to him and, and uh, kind of like, well, you know, what do you, what do, you do when you're, when you're a crisis chaplain? And you know what he said? He said, just be there. Just be there for the people. He said a lot of them, he, he will just go to them and he'll, he'll sit down with a person and he'll ask them. He'll, they'll say, he'll say like, you know, where were you when this occurred? What, what was going on? You know, what? And he, just basically what he does is he allows those people to relate, to communicate what's on their heart. And so these people would start sharing for them. And basically the next step from that is just say, hey, can I pray for you? So that's all. Just be there. Let the people express themselves and pray for them. You know, when he was explaining that, it just dawned on me, and I, I should have known this, but it's really not much different than hospital visitations or bereavement ministries. We've done both of them here at Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Your action <clears throat> of just being there speaks louder than anything you could possibly say. And maybe that scares you. You know, we have, you know, going to visit people at the hospital that are really ill. Maybe they're on their deathbed or maybe, you know, you've been in that situation and you're frightened. It's like, I don't know 
what I'm going to say. I, I, I couldn't be involved in that ministry because I'm not, you know, I've never gone to Bible college. I don't have all the script. I don't, I wouldn't, if they asked me a question, I wouldn't know what to say. You know what? I can tell you this. People are not going to remember what you said, but you know what they'll remember? You were there for them in their time of need. I want to encourage you, if you want to get involved in that ministry, man, there's opportunities always for that. Um, a lady who's not here in our fellowship to this morning, Mary, she came up to us and she said, hey, I'd really like to just start doing that, can I? And we're like, yeah, that's fine. We've leaned on her several times, not like leaned on her in a bad way, but, um, but we've, we've utilized that gift in her. Yeah, we really leaned on her to do it. <laughs> Let me tell you. She started doing it. We had to strong arm her into it, but uh, after twisting her, no, I'm just kidding. We've, it's just, it's, and basically, <clears throat> it's just being there, just ministering in that way. And so I want to encourage you, if you ever want to get involved in that ministry, it's an opportunity. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be a friend. Oh, I don't know what they're going to say. It doesn't matter. Just be there for them. Pray with them. Let them talk to you. So John writes here to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also those who have known the truth. You know, God was teaching in the Old Testament a concept to the children of Israel. And it's kind of expressed in this verse in Exodus 23, 9. But it's expressed in a lot of other places as well. The Lord God told the children of Israel, You shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in Egypt. You know what it's like to be a sojourner, to be an alien in a foreign land. You know what it's like to be like that. And so don't you mistreat people like that. Well, John here says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. That was in an earlier chapter, actually, in, in 1 John. But we who have known the truth will love others. What, what am I talking about? Again, I'm going, I kind of got ahead of myself here. But in 1 John, he says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Now, I said John was the apostle of love, right? John loved those people that he was writing to in truth. And, and uh, you can just sense his heart as he's communicating. Um, but I think John is also communicating another concept to his readers. Those of us who have experienced God's unconditional, unmerited, sacrificial love. We're the beloved. We're beloved of God. Not just of John, but of God. If he's loved us, and we've experienced that unconditional, unmerited, sacrificial love, then what he says is, well, then let us sacrificially and unconditionally love one another. So those who have known the truth, they they also love you because they've experienced God's love. And if, if you and I know the truth of ourselves, about ourselves, and the truth of who God is, we know that we're no better than anybody else, right? We know that we don't deserve God's love. The children of Israel, they knew the heart of the stranger because they were strangers once. We know the heart of someone who doesn't deserve love. I know when I came to Christ, I didn't deserve his love. I didn't deserve his forgiveness. But man, he loved me and he forgave me. And, and, and he cleansed me and, and he came into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I was desperate for love at that point and I know the experience. And you and I, we've all, if you have a relationship with Jesus this morning, you know that feeling. Well, if you know that feeling then you should love one another the same way. We should, we should, it should just flow from us. Jesus said he was forgiven much, loves much. Man, I tell you, when we understand that we don't deserve God's grace, I mean, that's what God's grace is, right? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. We didn't, we didn't deserve it. And the more you understand that, the more you're able to love one another. And so that's what John is trying to get across. Paul also wrote in Ephesians 5, 2, he says, And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling uh, aroma. And John tells his readers that not only he loves them, but so do all the others who have known the truth. All these other brothers and sisters that have experienced God, they love you too. This is in his greeting here. And he says, why? Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Our culture today embraces Pilate's philosophy. What was Pilate's philosophy? Back in John 18, 38, he basically said to Jesus, hey, what is truth? And you know, today, that is basically our culture's philosophy. There's no absolute truth. What is truth? Uh, It's all relative. Well, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The truth is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. 
And what is the truth? Well, God became a, became a man, right? He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again from the, from the dead in power, and he's returning to judge the living and the dead. That's the truth of who Jesus is. And the truth is, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. We've, we studied that last week. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the truth. And that truth will never change. Why? Because Jesus will never change. That truth will abide with us forever because Jesus promises you and I that he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. And so he continues in his greeting here, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Listen, if someone knew the truth about you, I mean, they really knew you. You know what I mean? Uh, not the you that you present to people. You know, we all have this, this, this persona that we, that we project to others around us. But if people knew the real you, they knew what you like when you're off on your, by yourself, they knew how you responded in certain situations and stuff, would they still love you? God is true, but not only that, God knows the truth about us. And he still loves you and I. And he always will love you and I. And he's proven that. Why? He's proven that he loves us by sending his son, right? And he's proven that he will love us by giving us the Holy Spirit as a sign and a seal of our covenant. So John doesn't say, you know, may God's peace be with you. He says God's peace and his love will be with you. He's so confident of that. Verse 4, now we get through the greeting. Verse 4, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive the commandment from the Father. Now, of course, the first and literal interpretation of the context of this letter is to a church and its members. Then John is rejoicing that he's heard news that some of the members of this particular church were walking in truth. What does it mean, walking in truth? It means living their lives daily in truth. But you know, as I mentioned to the kids, this is true for all godly parents and godly grandparents. A godly parent and a godly grandparent, they rejoice greatly when they hear of their children, or in our case, their grandchildren, are walking in truth. And like I mentioned, this is the charter verse of our children's ministry. It's called Word Walkers, and that's the theme verse. No greater joy than my children uh, walk in truth. Now, as parents, if you're a good parent, right, um, you, uh, you want the best for your kids. You want them to excel in education. You want to you uh, develop their abilities, help them develop their abilities. You want to learn them, teach them how to, how to handle finances. Uh, you want them to, 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 to choose a career and blossom. And I mean, that's all good things that we desire for our children. And of course, unless parents are extremely selfish and they don't care about that, you know, they just care about themselves. I, I, there are parents like that, unfortunately, out in the world. But these are all fine, right? But our greatest joy should be that our children are walking or living in truth, that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember years ago telling my kids, it's like, I don't care what you do for a career. I really, literally don't care. I don't care if you don't go to college. I don't care what you do as long as you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you love him. That's all that matters to me. Everything else is just icing on the cake. Your heart is more important. And so... As parents, we feel that way, right? Well, do parents have any role with regards to this in their kids' lives? I mean, do we, is there any way we can influence that or, or develop that in our children? The answer is yes. How can you help your child walk in truth? There's a few things. We're just, we could spend a whole rest of the Bible study talking about this, but, but here's just a few things. Teach your children. Teach your children, first of all. Back in Deuteronomy, I want to read this to you. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And though these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." Teach your children. Teach the word of God in your home. Read the Bible. Break it open and read it. Teach biblical truths and principles to your children. 
And you know, here's another aspect of this. Teach them not just by words, but by your actions. Because you can preach all you want, teach all you want, but if your actions don't line up with what you're communicating, kids see through that. They're not stupid. They can see that, hey, you're not following through with what you're telling me. Do you do everything according to God's words and principles? Do you live your life consistent with your beliefs? It's so important. Now, Revelation chapter 7, John's, you know, has this revelation of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 7, verse 13, it says, One of the elders, it says, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, saying to John, Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And this is John speaking. And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You know what's interesting about that? The elder, which was an angel at this point, he didn't, he didn't wait for John to say, hey, John, hey, hey, angel or elder or whatever, what's all this in front of me? He said, hey, John, what do you see here? And John's like, I don't know. And he, ex- ex- he went, went to the extent of starting to show John or explain to John what he was seeing. What am I saying? Don't wait until your children encounter life or things in life before teaching them God's principles. Don't wait for them to ask you Use every opportunity to give teachable moments to your children. Find those opportunities. Don't avoid, but initiate teachable moments. And I just want to say one thing, and, and you know, we've gone through the Bible just a couple weeks ago. We finished teaching all the way through from Genesis to Revelation, at least once. So some of them more than once, but we've gone through and we've taught every, every book of the Bible here at Calvary Chapel, Rochester. And uh, I'm getting ready. We're, we're actually kind of waiting until we, the church is officially renovated and we, we open the doors and start advertising and everything. Um, at that point, I'm hoping to start Genesis again. Uh, if it takes a real long time, we might have to start it sooner. But, um, but that's, that's my plan to start over again. And, you know, going through the book of Genesis and going through the Bible, you're going to come across real stories of real people with real sins and real problems and there are things that maybe we don't necessarily like to deal with or to talk about. But let me, let me just express this to you guys, because this is my heart. It's much better to teach your children godly precepts regarding those things that we're going to come across in scriptures than waiting until the world teaches them, and then you have to go back and do damage control. It's much better. Hey, I would rather them experience hear from in a godly perspective. Yeah, those people did that, but, but this is what God's principles are than to wait because they are going to learn it. Eventually they'll learn it. And you don't want to have to do damage control after. It's much better to prepare them ahead of time. How else can you help your child walk in truth? Erect memorials. Erect memorials. Joshua 4 verse 4 says, Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Erect memorials in your family. Explain to your kids, hey, this is how the Lord blessed us. Relate to them. You know, this is a time when we had to, as a family, we had to, or your mom and I, we had to come down on our knees and just ask God to provide and bless us, and he did. Remind your children of those things. I, I have, my mom was one who did those things. I, I, I know stories about when I was, a, when, before I was, I might, I might not even have been born at the time. Um, back in Canada, when, when, when my parents were dirt poor, they didn't have a penny to scratch, basically. And, and they prayed, and the Lord would miraculously deliver or, or miraculously provide. And, and she would remind me of those things. They stuck with me, and I, I, I was too young to remember them, but I know the stories. Those are the memorials we should um, erect for our family, for our children. But it's not only recalling to them how the Lord blessed and took care of you. That's an important concept. But in Genesis 32, uh, do you remember Jacob? Jacob, uh, the son of Isaac, he was known as the supplanter, right? That's his name, the heel catcher. Basically, in our terminology, be the, the con artist. Jacob, the swindler. He was always making things happen his way. 
And you recall when he was at the river Jabbok, he was, going, he was on his way to meet his brother uh, Esau. And uh, at, he, it, it says here, I'll just read it because it's easier than me explaining it. But in, in Genesis 32, uh, verse 24, it says, Then Jacob was left alone, this was that night, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the sock of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his, li- on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So to this day, another, whenever, whoever was writing this, um, all that time, the Jews had a tradition. They wouldn't eat that portion of the meat. Why? Because it was a memorial of how Jacob was touched, and he, had, he was, Jacob went from the supplanter to his name was changed to Israel, ruled by God. They were reminded of Jacob's brokenness and having to lean on the Lord and not on his own ability. So there are times when you need to just be transparent with your kids. It's not just, hey, how the Lord blessed me, but you know what? I made a really a dumb mistake back here, and I want to tell you about it because I want you to learn from that. So be honest and be transparent with your children. How else can you help your children walk in truth? Discipline them. Discipline them. You know, when you think of discipline, it's not just correcting them when wrong, although that is definitely, definitely an aspect of of discipline. Remember Eli in the Bible. He didn't discipline his sons, and God took his sons out, man, because they were wicked. They were evil. They had not been disciplined. So it's definitely an aspect of discipline. But when you hear of the term a disciplined soldier, you think, wow, that guy must have got spanked a lot. (laughs) No, that's not what you think, right? A disciplined soldier is one who's been pointed in the right direction. They've been trained, they've been prepared, they've been equipped, they've learned values and responsibility, and they're focused on a mission. Man, they're disciplined. Nothing's going to describe. That's what disciplining is. It it, it might involve correction, and and with children, quite often it does. But it's also training them and pointing them in the right direction. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he, he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I can tell you from experience he may or she may go AWOL for a time. They may from the faith for a time. And they may suffer some painful and difficult consequences. But I want to give you an encouragement. The Lord loves your children more than you do. Do you know that? God loves your children more than you do. And he's going to pursue them and he's not going to let them go. So pray for your children without ceasing. How else can you help your children walk in truth? Don't hover over them and smother them. In 1 Samuel 1, you remember the story of Hannah. Hannah prayed for a baby. The Lord gave her Samuel. And, and here's this little Samuel. I don't know, a little, little guy, right? She made this little cute little robe for this little, you know, pint-sized little, little Sammy. And uh, brings him to the house of the Lord and, and, and gives him to, to Eli. He, he just basically leaves him in the care of the temple there. Would that be easy for you mothers to do? Let your little three-year-old or however old he was, okay, But you know, spiritually, there are times when we as parents need to not hover and smother our kids, but entrust them to the Lord's care. There's times when you just have to just allow that. You know, when you read about the prodigal son in Luke 15, you know, the father didn't go out and bail his son out when he was feeding the swine and and, and living in that squalor like that. But he waited. Now, undoubtedly, he, he waited prayerfully and tearfully. It wasn't that there was no tears, and I'm, I'm sure he was praying. And he received him back with open arms when he came back. But he didn't bail him out. Sometimes you have to allow the children to experience consequences. But you know what? If you're a parent and you have younger children, it's, it's actually kind of healthy for them to experience consequences within reason. We'll explain that in a minute. Within reason, but to allow them to experience consequences in the safety of your 
your home, in the safety of your, while you still have influence in their lives. Why? Because the world is a very tough place, and you as adults, you know that. They're not going to have an easy, easy time there. If you are always hovering over and smothering your children and they're never paying any kind of consequences, you're always bailing them out, you're making every decision for them, you're actually doing them a disservice because once you release them into the world, man, the world's going to just tear them up and chew them up. You're setting them up for failure. So don't hover over your children. Well, So then the question comes, or I have this question, well, when do you discipline them? You know, when do you put your foot down as a parent? Because we're definitely, we should do that. We should guide and, and correct our children. And when do you let go and entrust them in the Lord's care? You know what the answer is? It takes wisdom. You need to be in the word of God yourself as a parent. You need to be reading God's word. It takes discernment, man. You need the Holy Spirit leading and guiding you and speaking to your heart. And it takes lots and lots of prayer. In fact, copious amounts of prayer. Are you a mother or father that prays, man, because that's, that's, these are all, God will give you that wisdom. Again, we could spend the rest of the, after the, rest of the morning on this, but uh, let's move on here. Verse 5. And so John writes this, And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. What brought John great comfort was that some of the members of this church were walking in truth. What does that imply? Well, that implies that there were probably some that weren't walking in truth. And so here John is pleading with them, that they would love one another. You see, if you know the truth about how much God loves you, if you have a grasp on God's love, a good understanding of it, you're going to love others. And John says, this isn't a new commandment, right? Jesus taught it to the disciples. John wrote of it both in his gospel and his first epistle. Well, for you and I, the proof of our knowledge of God and the proof of our obeying God's commandments is going to be evident if we love one another. We should be loving and hospitable. But again, here I go back to what I said in the beginning. Love without truth is dangerous. You know, just love everybody. Well, we are supposed to love people unconditionally, but we need discernment as well. Because love without truth is dangerous. It allows harmful and deceptive influences. Love without truth is harmful to the loving individual. It's harmful to their home. It's harmful to their family harmful to their marriage. It could even be harmful in the church. Now, in the time of this letter, evidently, there were many traveling prophets and missionaries at that time. And the church needed discernment. We have this, uh, it was found in the, in the 1800s, it's called the didact, or didacti, whatever. It's, called, it's known as the teaching of the 12. And I, I'll just share this. It's not inspired scripture. It's definitely not in the canon of Scripture. But it gives an insight to the early church. And I, and, and I just want to read a few portions of it to you. Um, there's like, I think, 11 or 12 chapters. And the first 10 chapters, it's, it's all these concepts that are gleaned from the Bible. But when you get to the chapter 11, it says, Whoever therefore shall come and teach you all these things aforesaid, all these other concepts, him do ye receive. But it goes on, it says, But if the teacher himself turn and teach another doctrine with a view to subvert you, hearken not to him. But if he come to add to your righteousness and the knowledge of the Lord, receive him as the Lord. But concerning the apostles and the prophets, thus do ye according to the doctrine of the gospel. Let every apostle who cometh unto you be received as the Lord. So, okay, receive them. You know, if they're they're saying they're from the Lord, receive them. But listen to this. He will remain one day. And if it be necessary, a second. But if he remains three days, he's a false prophet. And let the apostle, when departing, take nothing but bread until he arrive at his resting place. But if he asks for money, he's a false prophet. There's a lot of false prophets out there today, evidently. And every prophet who ordereth in the spirit that a table shall be laid shall not eat of it himself. But if he do otherwise, he's a false prophet. And every prophet who teaches the truth, if he do not do what he teacheth, he's a false prophet. 
And every prophet who is approved and true in ministering in the visible mystery of the church, but who teacheth not others to do the things that he doth himself, shall not be judged of you. For with God lieth his judgment, for in this manner also did the ancient prophets. But whoever shall say in the spirit, give me money, or things of that kind, listen not to him. But if he tell you other concerning others, in other words, others that need are in need, uh, ye should give unto him, unto them, let no one judge him. Let every one that cometh in the name of the Lord be received, but afterwards ye shall examine him and know his character, for ye have knowledge of good and evil. If the person who cometh be a wayfarer, assist him as far as ye are able, but he will not remain for you more than two or three days unless there be a necessity. But if he wish to settle with you, being a craftsman, let him work and so eat." But if he not know any craft, provide ye according to your own discretion, that a Christian may not live idle among you. But if he be not willing to do so, he is a trafficker in Christ. From such keep aloof. But every true prophet who is willing to dwell among you is worthy of his meat. Likewise, a true teacher is himself worthy of his meat, even as is a laborer. Now, again, that's not inspired scripture, but it is insightful regarding the things that were occurring in the early church in that day, in that time. There were people that were taking advantage of ministry. You know, I'm, I'm here. You know, it's interesting. We've, we've had different people come and minister in our, in our church, and some of them have stayed in our home as they were here in town. Um, the last people that we had here, um, Adams Road, remember them? The, the ministry, they were the band. The, they, were, they, were, they were Mormons that have come faith come to faith in Christ and they came and you know sometimes when you don't really know them it's a little it's a kind of a chancy thing because you, you, you know well they came and I told after they after they finished I said you guys are welcome back anytime you, I'm, in fact I would love you to come back why they were so sincere um, they were self-supporting they you know we blessed them financially but they didn't ask in fact they said we support ourselves we're not asking for anything it was so refreshing but on the other side, we've had, and I, I won't mention this person's name, but years ago, probably most of you wouldn't even, weren't even here maybe, but years ago we had a guy come, and I uh, was in ministry, and he stayed with us. And, uh, you know, he ministered to the church here, and, and, then, and then he stayed in our home. And, and uh, he stayed one day. We were expecting him to spend the night, because, you know, but then he said, mind if I stay another night? Yeah, that's okay. And it was the third night. After a while, I was like... I wonder why he's staying here this long. You know, doesn't he have other ministries and stuff? He's like, hey, can I can I use your printer? We're like, yeah, that, that's fine. Uh, he was, I got I got to print a, a thing off. I'm like, fine. After about three or four hours, he was done with the printer. I'm like, man, that guy just ran out all our ink and all the paper and everything. I'm like, and you know, I'm not saying he was a false prophet. I I have lost contact with him, but we kind of felt like, yeah, it felt like we were kind of being taken advantage of a little bit. You know, it's like, you know. It just seemed kind of weird. Well, this apparently was occurring in John's day, this kind of things. And so John writes here in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone into the world, gone out into the world, who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Not, you know, Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. We talked about this in 1 John. Someone who doesn't admit to the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ, that he's come in the flesh. Um, the verb tense here, coming in the flesh, it doesn't mean that he's just come in the flesh because that was the Gnostic teaching in those days was that, uh, you know, G- God was, they didn't deny the deity of God, but they denied the humanity of Jesus. That, you know, he wasn't really, I mean, God just, it was a spiritual thing that happened. It wasn't, he didn't actually come in the flesh. Um, but this verb tense here, coming in the flesh, also indicates Christ's future coming in the flesh. Christ's visible, physical return to the earth, which is what we believe. Um, there are cults, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who say Christ spiritually returned already. That's, that's a false teaching. They're false prophets. Verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. When he says look to yourselves, basically what he's saying is not don't, he's not saying make sure you're not a false prophet, but he was say, what he's basically saying is you and I are responsible to use discernment regarding false prophets. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. Utilize that. Don't lose the spiritual rewards you've attained because you failed to use discernment and got off in the weeds following some false teaching. I've known people that have done that. They, they were rock solid, but they, they got off into the weeds. They started drifting away, and now they're, now they're off in left field totally spiritually. John says, don't do that. Don't lose what you've attained. 
Verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. The doctrine of Christ, that's what we've been talking about, the teachings of Christ, the biblical foundation Uh, foundational teaching of Christ as revealed in scriptures, that salvation is through Christ alone, that faith, uh, it's by faith in Christ's finished work on the cross for our sins, that he came in the flesh, he became a man, he lived sinless life, and he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again from the dead. These are the, that's the doctrine of Christ, that he's returning in the flesh to judge the living and the dead. That's the doctrines of Christ. If, he says, if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this doctrine, don't receive them. Don't even allow them into your home. Now, we know family members, we know people that they don't follow this. They, they're not, you know, they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and stuff. John's not saying, you know, don't, don't interact with those people, but, but those who are bringing the doctrine. What I think he's talking about is the teachers, those who are teaching false people, those who are leading others astray. Man, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. Don't receive them, him or her. Paul even says this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Paul says, man, even if I come and start teaching you some weird stuff, and it's another doctrine, it's another gospel, man, back away from me. John finishes this letter, verse 12. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So in other words, another church, evidently. You know, we live in a day and an age that uh, it's amazing, social media, isn't it amazing? Um, it's nice to get emails. This morning, uh, before church, uh, six in the morning, um, I had connected with a pastor. Uh, he's in Michigan. And he said, hey, can I add you to my, to my email list? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Well, this morning, I got a text from him, and he was just kind of praying a blessing over me through texting. I thought, man, so that's encouraging. Um, we met a guy that, uh, he's not a pastor, he's a missionary, he's out in Washington State, we were talking to him, and uh, I got a text from him, This actually I got an email from him this morning, praying a blessing and stuff. I'm like, man, it's, it's so cool. Social media is so neat. It's nice to get emails. It's nice to reconnect with old friends through Facebook, right? Um, it's nice to get Facebook messages, texts and everything. Um, but you know what? I just want to say, Paul, or John says this here, man, face-to-face communication is still important in our culture. Why? I want to read this to you. It's in Revelation chapter 5. Again, going back to John's vision. He's in heaven there. He sees this in Revelation 5 verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us uh, to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power, riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. If you get that picture, it's like all of creation, all of heaven, they're worshiping the Lord together. You know, I got news for you. There's no heaven app that you can get. Sooner, and I think it's actually sooner than later, we're going to be in the company of all the saints from all the earth 
from all history worshiping the Lord corporately together, face to face. And you know, if you are just, and again, I'm not knocking social media and stuff, but if you've isolated yourself by technology, it's going to be really weird for you. I got all these people around you, you're going to feel claustrophobic, right? Because you're just so into your own little, you know, your own little world in the, in the text. And again, I'm not knocking any of that stuff. I, I have a Facebook account. I, I text. I email and stuff. Um, but listen, face-to-face is really when discipleship occurs. I mean, you can encourage people with an email and in text, and I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to contact, be in touch with other people. Even phone calls are good. But, you know, it's limited when it comes to discipling. You can only disciple so much. Face-to-face contact and communication gives the best opportunity to be real with each other. Because I can text you and I can say, eh, and I'm doing great. And you can get my email and I can make it sound really, really, you know, wow, the guy's doing really fantastic. Now I can meet you face to face. We maybe go out for coffee or something. You go say, hey, how are you doing? And I could try. I go, oh man, I'm doing really good. And you can look at me and go, man, you don't look like you're doing really good. You can't hide that. You can hide behind texting, but you can't hide that when you're face to face. You see, that's where accountability and that's where, uh, you know, being real with each other in discipleship, that's the best, best way to do it. It's also how we learn to grow in love. Why? Because we're spending time with each other in real situations in real life. Um, technology, it's not inherently good. It's not inherently bad. But the Bible says that our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So if I can encourage you, stay with a pack. Stay with a pack. Don't isolate yourself through technology because you're a prime target for the enemy then. Don't let technology isolate you from face-to-face interaction with the rest of the body of Christ. Now, I, want to, I just want to encourage you. Um, maybe you guys are really into your techies or whatever the term is. You know, I, I don't want to discourage you, but I want to encourage you. Um, you know, when we started this Bible study, literally, we, we were a Bible study. started in a home as a Bible study. And as we grew, you know, everything kind of, at that time, we did everything together. We were a small group of people. We would meet at Dan and Tracy's house, or we would do this. We, we'd do a, have a Christmas thing together, Morrison's and stuff. And, you know, it was always and Chad and Jen. I, I don't want to miss anybody. But, you know, all the, 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 the earliest people that were there, um, we did everything together. We even castrated cows together. I mean, not cows, whatever. <laughs> We did all that stuff together. We had some interesting stories about that. Um, but I, it was like I was at every, pretty much everything that happened. And then after a while, I'm like, you guys, you know, it, it, we need to be involved with each other's lives, just, not just, you know, when I'm there or not just the church-sponsored events, but we need to be involved in other people's lives. And you know what? I've seen that happen in the body here. I hear of people getting together with others and you're encouraging one another or you're praying with one another or, or you, you've gotten together, you're doing jobs together. You're, you're, that's discipleship. And I want to commend you on doing that. I want to just throw in a little thing. Don't forget your pastor and his wife because we, we need friendship too. <laughs> we need to be involved because it, it was funny. It was like we're in everything and then after a while it's like, okay, we're not in some of these and pretty soon it's like we're in nothing. <laughs> you know? but so anyways, take that for what it's worth. But um, Anyways, you know, John didn't know about tweeting and social media and, and, ex, and, and all those things. He didn't know about those things. So he didn't know how cool it would be or anything like that. But he did know. I mean, he's writing letters to the churches, and he knew that that was, you know, your joy's limited. And so he says, man, I need to speak to you face to face because that's when our joy will be full. And that, that's the full joy when we're interacting with one another. So if anything, if you get anything out of this, my encouragement to you is to, 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 to meet with people, get together with people, um, and love the body. That's how you love the body, um, face to face. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, <clears throat> talking about heaven and stuff. Teresa and I went to the, uh, actually there's a few of us, um, five of us, we went to the Understanding of the Times conference um, in uh, uh, Eden Prairie yesterday. It was an all-day conference. Um, Olive Tree Ministries, Jan Markell put it on, and uh, it was packed. Um, that place, from what I understand, from one of the ushers, it seats 5,500 people. They had standing room only. They, they were putting chairs up in the hallways and in these other rooms. It was packed with people. It's, it's, it's never been that packed before. In fact, it's a huge church, Grace Church in Edina. They, the church themselves says, we've never had that many people in our building before. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was packed. 
And, uh, and I took some things. I think some of you that were here probably took some stuff home with it too. The one thing that, that really hit me is how fast things are changed. Um, if you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, here's the battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Did you know that right now the major players in that battle are on the verge? They're just they're surrounding Israel at this point. They're, they're there, literally. Um, Russia, Iran, Turkey, they're all there. That's happened in just last week or two or month maybe at the most. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're, we're praying that we get the renovation. We pray that, the, I'm praying that the build permits, in fact, you can be praying for that too, that the build permits show up, that we, you know, we can start the, the rest of the renovation in earnest um, here as soon as possible. Um, but to be honest with you, we may not get this done before the rapture of the church occurs. I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's like things are happening so fast in the world today uh, that uh, this may be, be like, oh, it was, you know, fun to get into the process, but we never saw the completion. And that'd be okay with me, okay? I'd much rather be face-to-face with my Savior. So why don't you just stand up and let's go Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for, the, for your word this morning. And, and uh, Lord, I just pray that, uh, or we might be encouraged, Lord. I pray that the parents here in this fellowship uh, would be encouraged uh, to uh, to instill in their children a love for you and and I, Lord, I know these parents here. They're they're good parents. They love you. They they love their children and and that's why their children are here, Lord, because they want to teach them uh, to love you and 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 so I just pray that Lord, you would encourage them. Lord, I know uh, being a parent myself, there are times when I've made some really stupid mistakes or I've I've said harsh words to my children. Lord, we all make those mistakes. There's no perfect parents, and so Lord, I pray that uh, the parents in this room, Lord, would just be encouraged. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless them. Lord, um, if they need prayer, Lord, I, I pray that they would call each of us, that we would, we would lift them up in prayer as they're navigating parenthood, which is not an easy thing. So I pray your blessing upon the parents. Lord, I, I just pray for each one of us. Um, Lord, that you would give us that discernment that we need, Lord, as we come across false teachings. Lord, as we come across those things that are not of you. Lord, help me recognize them. Uh, help us to... Uh, to deal appropriately in those things. Lord, I pray that our love would be sincere, um, but it would also be in truth, Lord. And so uh, just thank you for um, bringing these things to our attention this morning. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your body here this morning, upon this this fellowship. Uh, Lord, may you fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit this week. Lord, may we... uh, May you give us divine encounters so that we might minister your love to those around us. And uh, Father, I just pray for your guiding and your blessing this, this coming week, Lord. And thank you for everybody who's here this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.